In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 35 of the Culture of Peace podcast. My name is Luke Tatum, and this is the show where I interview people who are advancing the message of liberty and changing the culture for the better. Now, we are changing the format of the show just a bit this time. Instead of having a guest on, I really wanted to spend some time just showing the community aspect of the show. We do have a community group on Facebook with some really cool people in there. And so I actually reached out to the community for some questions and maybe some things that I could refute here on the show. So it's kind of an AMA. Now this is not being recorded live. I could do that with maybe a webcam or something, but since this is an audio show and I focus on the audio, uh, we are not doing that today. So show notes for today is going to be episode uh, 35, so you'll go to luketatum.com slash 35. That'll take you to links to whatever we discuss. And I have not seen the questions that have been asked, so I just made a post on the Culture of Peace community group and let that kind of be what it was. There's a couple of questions that were asked a while back. Um, I made a post kind of considering the idea of doing a episode like this, and people actually were willing to give me some stuff to work with with that. Uh, so I'll maybe tackle both. It depends on how much I have here when I open it up. So I'm on the Facebooks right now, and... I'm going to go here to the Culture of Peace group, the official question thread. And by the way, if you want to join the Culture of Peace community, it's very, very easy. You can go to luketatum.com slash community. It'll take you right there. And what you can do there is post whatever you'd like. It's kind of a safe space to use that term that we've all learned to hate. <laughs> and... You can uh, get feedback from others. We've had some interesting personal things in there. Um, I post some things that I don't necessarily want to be super public in there uh, from time to time. And, you know, it's just it's a good space to develop ideas and kind of bounce things off of each other. But LukeTatum.com slash community is where you would go for that. So here we go. The official question thread for the next episode. And... First post here, it looks like from Hody Johns. Love that guy. So he says, The very title, Culture of Peace, is something I'm interested in. I have stopped fighting political battles and changed my entire focus on doing community work. 
How do we best create cultures of peace out of communities that are deeply divided and mistrustful? How do you turn a culture of violence into a culture of peace? Okay, so awesome question. First of all, let me say that is sort of one of the reasons that I started this show is to answer that question, right? I think it's a hopefully self-evident truth that we need to develop a culture of peace. And it's more the question of how do we get there? And I think that the more people we ask that question to, the more we're going to figure out the best approach. That's one of the reasons I've started to ask that question on the show. And, you know, at the end, that's the last question for the last few episodes. It's, you know, what is your assessment of the current state of the culture in the United States? And what's your prescription for improving it? What's your angle, you know, basically. So I, you know, personally, I'm a little skittish to answer the question because I don't want to <laughs> give my own answer and then other answers aren't aren't mine. You know, it's not it's not my show so much it is as it is a show to to answer this question on an ongoing basis and to broaden the space that that we have for thinking about this. Um, but I guess if I was going to take a stab at it, I I really like the homeschooling answers I've gotten in the past. I think that the next generation is something that we should always be looking to and mindful of. And, you know, every action that we take is something that our children will see. If you have kids and you are texting while driving or if you are um, violent toward your spouse or if you're solving problems by ignoring problems, if you're doing any of these things that are that are not good and that you wouldn't be happy to see your children do, then you're showing them that it's okay because as a parent, you are the role model. At least you should be. And if you're not, then your kids are going to look to other people to fill that space, right? And they may not be the people that you would like them to look to. So that's not to be a negative, I guess, with that answer, but being a a good moral parent, I think, is an important thing, um, even if you only have one kid. You know, one person can make a huge difference, as we've seen throughout history, and you never know. I mean, there's no way to know how big of an impact your child can have in the world. So... I think that's maybe where I would start with that is to to focus on the next generation, focus on homeschooling rather than sending kids to the public school system. Because again, you're setting the example. It's like, okay, well, school is what you do. You have to go. It's required by law, yada, 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 whatever excuse you want to give. And, you know, I'm not blaming anyone necessarily, because certainly that's what we've all been taught. But if you're aware of the abuses of the public school system and you're aware that there is a better way, then you need to take the initiative and you need to try to create a better world with your own actions. And that's not always easy, right? My son, which if you haven't listened to the episode where I was on the Homesteads and Homeschools podcast with Ben Pangy. Um, that I thought was a really good look at 
some of my beliefs about homeschooling and all of that. But my son is autistic, and I talk a lot about that on that show. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to this episode, so luketatum.com slash 35, of course. But, you know, I talked on there kind of at length about how you as the parent should have the best relationship with your child. You should know what they need, how to, how to help them develop a desire for learning and how to, you know, be a successfully minded person. School does not teach you that. And if you think otherwise, I'm sorry, but that's a point that I cannot accept contention on. Public school is mindless and it, it reduces everyone down to the same level. And anyone who excels at anything is either ridiculed or put on some kind of pedestal that gives them this uh, this weird social status that gets them demonized by a bunch of other people. I mean, it's just not a healthy environment at all. And there's verbal abuse by teachers, sometimes physical abuse by teachers, um, sometimes horrible, horrible things, especially if you're looking at special needs programs and and all kinds of stuff. So that's an episode all to itself. I mean, that's just an awful thing. And so my big focus is always on the next generation, but if your question is more about what can we do right now, like with ourselves, other than that, then I would just say to build bridges where you can. Don't be quick to burn them. Everyone's entitled to one deviation, as Murray Rothbard would say. So, you know, okay, if we 90% agree, then let's focus on the 90% and let's build bridges. If someone has an inherently antisocial mindset and, you know, it's clear that it's not going to work out to build a bridge, that's fine. You don't have to build a bridge with every person. I don't think you need to waste your efforts. Like, this is a marketing lesson, right? If you have a message that appeals to the right wing, maybe because you came from the right wing, then you should focus on the right wing because you're going to have a higher return on your time investment. So do what you can. Do what works for you, but spread the message. Make friends with people. Try to go to in-person things where you can. That's something I regrettably have not done more of because you know, we have a lot going on and I have a retail schedule to work, which interrupts a lot of, a lot of, uh, events. So, so that's where I'm coming from on that. But as much as you can, you know, everybody's situation is different. Some people are at every event that the Mises Institute ever hosts, and that's awesome. I only make it to the ones that are in Texas, but I do try to make it to those. So hopefully that answers your question at least first pass answer. So thanks again, Hody. Let's see. There's some additional discussion here on that point. Some videos. I'm not going to play videos. I don't think the sound would come through on here the way that I record. Got a great quote from MLK Jr. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So there you go. And Tom, you're asking me how many accounts of multiple shooters I've heard. Good question. I I really have to be honest here. I don't keep super strong tabs on the latest 
mass shooting, like I see the event happen, you know, I know the Dayton shooting and all of that. It's sad. I see the the headlines on these things, but I, I just don't chase those, you know, well, why is there no stop painted on the pavement in this shot when there should be one according to this other shot? I mean, I, I don't know. And fault me all you want for that. I maybe should care more. I know everyone's trying to make a false flag out of everything, and maybe they're right. I have no idea. And I'm not going to know. To me, it's just, it's almost spinning my wheels to pursue that kind of a thing too heavily. A little bit's cool, but it just, it doesn't win arguments with people. It makes arguments with people. And to me, that's not a good entry point for libertarianism. My goal is promoting libertarian thought, right? I want people to consider that maybe the state and the politicians within it and all of the unelected bureaucrats within it have the same motivations that other human beings have since they're human beings too, meaning they are greedy. They want to look out for their own interests, right? People are greedy, and that's fine. But if you create a system that allows the greedy to just basically steal, I mean literally steal from everyone, then that's what's going to happen, and that's what does happen. So that's my focus, and I don't think, I think it's too many steps to look at, is this a false flag or not, and this it doesn't add up, I and mean, we're never going to know, we're just not. And so if I start to have that conversation, I'm spending some of my capital with people, trying to convince them of something that doesn't achieve my ultimate goal, of spreading liberty. It just makes people question things, maybe, unless they write me off as a lunatic and then I have no shot with that person ever again. Because, oh, that's that crazy guy that thinks that every mass shooting's a false flag. Right? So I hope that makes sense. But more power to you. I I am interested in reading those things. I just don't spend a lot of my time on it. Um, since we're trying to make this game and all of that. It's just, it's not a focus at this time. It is very sad, though, and I, you know, my heart goes out to the people who are affected by these things, especially if it's a government-perpetrated incident, which it could be. Now, last time, we talked about doing an episode like this. I'm going to go back to the previous thread here. Uh, let's see, Tom Smith also wanted to know, so he says, you should give a basic idea of your understanding of what market anarchism would look like in action and how to get there in as direct and detailed a path as you can articulate. Por favor. (laughs) So... So how to get there. So from 2019, today is 8-8-2019. So from getting from here to market anarchism, meaning we need to eliminate all regulation on the market. 
And I know you posted this a while back. Tom, it looks like it's about three weeks ago when we were talking about this. I I have not given it any any real thought to prep for the show, but I'll give you the best answer I can, right? Because I do think about this often uh, in the abstract anyway. So I think that it's a cultural question. And that, again, goes back to the first question we did today about why we have to focus on culture and, and what's the best, best way to change that. If the people do not want authoritarian state controls on every aspect of the economy, then we won't have those things, right? I know that it's easy to say, well, we're being imposed or the, these rules are being imposed on us and everyone should be chafing at the, the bid and, and all of that. But for the most part, they're not. People might roll their eyes and go, oh, man, my taxes are kind of high on my paycheck and complain about it. But they're not actually enraged by that. They're not, you know, militantly resisting or anything like that, certainly. Uh, it's no it's no France. We don't have a yellow vest thing going on. And everyone is so quick to just fall in line and say, well, this person is outside of the mainstream, so therefore their opinion no longer counts, and it's okay to eliminate their ability to take or send payments. And, and you know, they can't use Patreon now, and they can't use YouTube now, and they can't have a Vimeo account or Subscribestar is even one that's that's limiting people. So all of those things, it's just writing people out of society. And at first pass, you know, you look at that and say, well, you're limiting that person's reach and they're, they're gone. They're not gone unless they choose to be, but it definitely makes their life a little more difficult, especially when we're in a digital age. When you're someone like Alex Jones and you have literally no platform at all now where everybody, you know, if he tries to get web hosting somewhere or something, he's immediately shut back down. Like, that's just a scary place to be. But market anarchism requires a culture that that values free speech and things like that. I don't, I don't care at all about the Bill of Rights. I think it maybe is a useful attack angle to to speak to people who do value the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Uh, you can talk about the Second Amendment, or you can talk about rights that are inherent. And you know, having the Bill of Rights be your starting point can be tricky because then it's like, well, you're appealing to the authority of the Constitution, and of course, my position is that. The Constitution has no authority. Thank you, Lysander Spooner. So I'm kind of dancing on the question. <laughs> I apologize. Market anarchism. So we want to get rid of all the rules. What do we do? We have to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. We have to convince them that this is advantageous. And that's not easy. But certainly just sitting around saying taxation is theft in a Facebook group called taxation is theft is not going to help because those people already think that. Uh, I think having public reach is very important, and the more of us that are trying to build public platforms to have these conversations, and the more high-profile we can make these conversations, the better. 
If we could get people in Congress to discuss whether or not taxation is theft, that would be a win. If we can get people uh, like on Joe Rogan to talk about that, since he has a huge audience, that's great. We always have to punch up. We always have to try to widen our reach. It's very easy and for me too to target people who are already libertarians with my message and discuss these things and go, wow, look, I'm reaching all these people. That's great. But are you reaching anyone who wasn't already in your camp? I don't know, right? I don't know everyone's level of success. There are bigger audiences than mine everywhere. Tom Woods, Dave Smith, people like that doing a great, great, great job. I feel like that's my purpose, too. I need to expand the reach, expand the audience. Every time someone shares the show, shares the Facebook page, those things are just very exciting for me because it's like, yeah, maybe we can convince some people to think about the world in a different way. If you don't know my story, I used to be more or less a kind of uninformed leftist when I was in high school. I did vote for Obama in 2008, and... You know, I thought, oh, well, he supports education. We really need to get everyone educated. Kind of these ridiculous points. When I look back at that, that's such a dumb position to take, right? First of all, every politician supports education. Secondly, what does supporting education even mean? You know, if you steal money from people and spend it on education for those that want to go to school, you're just subsidizing education. The cost of higher education continues to rise. You know all of these things, right? I'm sure you know these things because we've talked about some of them. But but market anarchism is is a long way away. And so I think it has to be a culture thing first. Mises would always say that politics is downstream from culture. And there's a lot of wisdom. That guy was just chock full of wisdom. And if you ever read theory and history or human action or any of the really big treatises and things that that he wrote um you just it's hard to read it's kind of dense because he covers everything in those books but he, it's really insightful it's really incredible how much he understood these things and mises was not an anarchist but then you go from mises to rothbard and you can really see these are the these are the points that we need to talk about. We've got to talk about education because that's kind of the key to the whole thing. We've got to convince individual people. And if we can just get that reach where we're having these high-profile conversations where millions of people are seeing this kind of stuff, then that's where we win. And it doesn't have to take a long time. Whenever the idea has reached its critical mass, it's going to happen you know, in a couple of years. So I don't know when that's going to to reach us. Certainly Donald Trump has done some things to hurt the libertarian movement because some of the populism, you know, kind of got absorbed by the Trump campaign. I'll be really interested to see how his reelection goes. I think at this point, with the information I have, it looks like he's obviously going to win re-election. Um, so that, that may be a bit of a brief period of difficulty for us, but, uh, with a Democrat in power, that might be easier to have those conversations because 
we'll be moving faster away from libertarian principles and we can maybe show the disparity there a little better. I'm not too good at predicting the future, but as soon as Ted Cruz dropped out of the race last time, 2016, I was like, oh yeah, Trump's got it. <laughs> this is done. And, and I was right about that. So, okay, let's move on. Hody, you also shared a, what is this, 19, 19 questions that John Stewart asked on The Daily Show on October the 27th, 2011. These are 19 questions for libertarians. Now we're running, let's see, we've been recording about 23 minutes at this point, so I will not make it through all of these, but let me try to pick a few good, win, good ones here. Is government the antithesis of liberty? That is question number one on John Stewart's list. Yes, it is. Government is inherently anti-social because it creates multiple classes of people. And there are rule followers and rule creators or rule enforcers. Um, there are taxpayers and there are tax receivers. You know, these things cannot lead to peace. And liberty and peace go hand in hand. So so there's nothing nothing else to say there. Um, is government the antithesis of liberty? Yes, it is. Number two, one of the things that enhances freedoms are roads. Infrastructure enhances freedom. A social safety net enhances freedom. That's not a question. Okay, so roads. Possibly the most overused stab at libertarians of all time. I don't think we even need to take that one apart. Yes, people will build roads to connect things that they value. Okay, cool. Number three, what should we do with the losers that are picked by the free market? What should we do with the losers that are... Okay, so what should we do, meaning society? I guess nothing. What should individual people do? That is, you know, there's a huge charity system out there. There's all kinds of private charities and churches and all kinds of things that are willing to help people and encourage them and get them back on their feet whenever they've stumbled, metaphorically speaking. And that's just, that's almost a non-question. Um, we already in the Western world have so many millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in charity that are spent every year. And to think that if you got rid of some government charity programs, which, by the way, absorb huge amounts of the money that are given to them anyway, they just go to bureaucrats anyway, uh, but the money that's left gets paid out. And uh, if you took that away, you think that nobody would be generous anymore? Even right now with the government programs, although private charity has shrunk significantly in the last several decades, due to the growth of government charity. You know, you steal someone's money and they don't have as much to be generous with. It's funny how that works. But yeah, losers in the free market, meaning people with fewer skills or that are caught in a, in a real run of bad luck or something like that, 
uh, you know, there's there's already things in place, so I'm not sure what the question is beyond that. Number four, do we live in a society or don't we? Are we a collective? Everybody's success is predicated on the hard work of all of us. Nobody gets there on their own. Why should it be that the people who lose are hung out to dry? For a group that doesn't believe in evolution, it's awfully Darwinian. Okay, that's question number three again, basically, just with some more accusational verbiage thrown in. Um, I've always hated the, well, libertarianism is Darwinian in nature claim, whether or not you believe in evolution or any of that stuff. I mean, first of all, that has no consequence here. And second of all, it's not survival of the fittest. It's just free association. So you shouldn't be forced to do things for people. That doesn't mean anyone will refuse to do anything. This means you don't aren't, aren't forced at the point of a gun to do anything. So that's interesting, but I think it's question three again. Number five, in a representative democracy, we are the government. Whew. We have work to do, and we have a business to run, and we have children to raise. We elect you as our representatives to look after our interests within a democratic system. And that is not a question. Okay. We're not the government. That is mythological at best. I have nothing to do with the government. Nothing. I'm recording a podcast in my living room. I'm not on Capitol Hill. I'm not elected to any offices. I have a retail job. So you tell me. Um, if I go vote and the people I vote for do not win, I'm still not in any way having an impact. Right? So it's only if you vote for winning people that you can claim that maybe you're part of the government. But even that, that's ridiculous. Because when you elect someone, they can do whatever they want. They don't have to follow the reasons that you personally voted for them. Many of these people are representing tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of individuals. And there's no way to do that. There's just no way. Um, so that's silly. That's very, that's a childish kind of attempt uh, on that one. <laughs> Number six, is government inherently evil? Yes. Number seven, sometimes to protect the greater liberty, you have to do things like form an army or gather a group together to build a wall or levy. Why does government have to be the only institution on earth that can form an army or gather a group together to build a wall or levy. Okay. There's no reason. Number eight. As soon as you've built an army, you've now said government isn't always inherently evil because we need it to help us sometimes. So now it's that old joke. Would you sleep with me for a million dollars? How about a dollar? Who do you think I am? We already decided who you are. Now we're just negotiating. Um, okay, so again, so if a government 
is the only institution that can form an army for defensive purposes, setting aside the fact that the army in the modern world is offensive and we're invading other countries all the time who have governments. So having a government doesn't protect those places, which is an interesting point. But, you know, why can't people get together and form militias and things like that? Is there a reason? Or are you just asserting this with no proof? Okay, number nine. We're actually making pretty good time on this. Number nine, you say government which governs least governs best, but that was the Articles of Confederation. We tried that for eight years, it didn't work, and went to the Constitution. The Constitution, by many measures, is not legitimate in any way. We had the Articles of Confederation, which did not give you know the power for the federal government to tax and all these things. And that was actually doing pretty great. And don't forget, for a few years, we didn't have a government at all. And things were fine. People were fine. There are other historical examples of areas with no government for periods of time. And it, they don't just explode. The people don't just cease to be. You've all seen that meme. You know, it's a picture of a car crashing. And it says, when your driver's license expires. Right? <laughs> so... In the second you don't have the government's approval to drive, you don't know how anymore. Like, that's really the argument that's being made right here. Oh, we can't run anything now that we don't have the state. Most of everything that you do every day is anarchic in nature. You're not going to the government to learn how to do something, right? You know how to do things. You do them. The government shows up after the fact and says, I'm going to need a cut, from that transaction. That's that's how it actually works. Number 10. You give money to the IRS because you think they're going to hire a bunch of people that if your house catches fire will come there with water. I have to read that twice. You give money to the IRS. Oh, so so that we have fire departments. Well, okay, so there's volunteer fire departments anyway, even in the current world that we live in now, which has nothing to do with the IRS. Secondly, the IRS absorbs the vast majority of the money that it actually takes in. So very, 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 very little of that money actually sees any use that benefits anyone in the private sector. But a lot of it even goes to corporate welfare and things that we don't support anyway. Um, I, yeah, you know, again, so if you don't have a state, we're just going to go, yeah, I guess there's nothing we can do. If my house catches fire, I guess I'll just die. That is, that is not, no one is claiming that. Except apparently John Stewart. Number 11. Why is it that libertarians trust a corporation in certain matters more than they trust representatives that are accountable to voters? The idea that I would give up my liberty to an insurance company as opposed to my representative seems insane. Now this is 2011, and you know what's funny? John Stewart is now railing against representative government to try to uh, get, what is this, health care for 
9-11 first responders. And so he's having an awfully hard time with this representative government that he is, right? He's the government. And so am I. And so, man, that just, that's working out really, really well. <laughs> uh, but do we trust corporations? Not necessarily. Amazon right now with their ring doorbells and security cameras and all of that, they are helping to get police departments security footage of everyone's homes. They're basically making a de facto surveillance network for police departments, and that's terrifying. So no, I don't trust corporations. I do trust companies in some things. I would certainly rather have information held by a company than by a government because the government has shown over and over and over and over again that they cannot be trusted with that information. So, you know, I, again, these questions are answering themselves. They're kind of frustrating to read. <laughs> uh, but no, we're not – representatives are not accountable to voters in any meaningful sense. If If you did something terrible – in a corporation and it's discovered, then you're fired. And you're probably not going to work in that industry ever again. If you do something terrible in government, the media covers for you, minimizes how bad it looks, and in another three or four years or so, then people can try to vote you out. But they don't necessarily do that because people are pretty apathetic. Um, so maybe you stay in power forever or for the next 18 years or 25 years or, you know, there's no there's no real check there on your power, uh, especially if you've got a flashy smile and know how to talk to people and change the subject when you get asked difficult questions. Number 12, why is it that with competition, we have such difficulty with our healthcare system and there are choices within the educational system. Seems like two different points. Okay, so with competition, we have such difficulty with our healthcare system. Let's see, this is 2011. How has that worked out now? You know? Um, are things really great right now, now that we've limited some of the competitive factors and all of that? Now, if you really want to understand the decline of American healthcare then you should read that book, The Primal Prescription, by Doug McGuff and Robert Murphy, the great Bob Murphy, libertarian economist. That book is awesome. It's about a third history, and good history, succinct, you know, really, really effective writing in that book. So you can link to that on the show notes page, because, I mean, that's just the resource. Just go read that. Oh, and the educational system here. So there are choices within the educational system. Okay, like what? Come on, man. Mandatory education. You know all these ridiculous requirements for trying to not have kids miss school and all of that? You know, I was really sick as a kid. Part of it, I think, was psychological because I despised school so much. But part of it was just I had some illnesses. I had, you know, mono and I had candida and things like that real bad. And so I was miserable a lot. And so I missed a lot of school. And the amount of just, oh my gosh, you've missed all these classes. You're going to have to take summer school. And that's so terrible. You really ought to try to talk to 
your son and get him to miss less school and all that as though it's my fault. It's ridiculous. Would you go back? Oh, excuse me. Number 13. Would you go back to 1890? No. Number 14. If we didn't have government, we'd all be in hovercrafts and nobody would have cancer and broccoli would be ice cream. That is a question mark at the end. <laughs> um, I don't understand the question. Number 15, unregulated markets have been tried. The 80s and 90s were the robber baron age. These regulations didn't come out of an interest in restricting liberty. What they did is came out of an interest in helping those that had been victimized by a system that they couldn't fight back against. Okay, again, let's plug a book here. The Myth of the Robber Barons. I'm going to link to that book on the show notes page. That's ridiculous. If cutting the prices of all of these goods, making them cheap and affordable for almost every household, finding new uses for all of the byproducts of oil and and refining steel more efficiently and all of these things, the so-called robber baron age where the price of everything was falling like a rock, how is that not increasing everyone's standard of living, right? You can have better access to more goods, better quality. Like, okay, sure, that sounds awful. Sign me up. Number 16. Why do you think workers that worked in the mines unionized? I think unions unionized people. I'm, I'm not sure, really sure what the question is. Unions were trying to bring people in. Obviously, it's good for them if they're receiving dues. It's a big scam, man. It's a scam, okay? You have unions, and that allows non-union workers to be, you know, called derogatory terms and have violence incited against them and all of that. It, unions are fine. That's a fine thing to exist in a free market. But having them get this governmental power behind them where it's like you're not allowed to do anything to retaliate against the union and you're not allowed to hire people who are non-union members and all this stuff like that's that's some next level stuff to call that free marker free market excuse me <laughs> that's um that's not really that's not really free market right if you have the police coming in and stuff like that we can talk about the pinkertons Again, we're kind of long on time, so we're not going to do that right now. But we're almost done with this list, so let's finish it up. Number 17, without the government, there are no labor unions because they would be smashed by Pinkerton agencies. Okay. Or people hired, or even sometimes the government. Again, I, d I don't see how you could really say that. There might not be labor unions, but there certainly sh would be in some areas, in some cases, because it wouldn't be illegal, because there's no illegal, and there's no rules against it, right? So you can unionize. I don't know how effective it would be, but you certainly can't prevent people from from uh, from doing that. Number eighteen: Would the free market have desegregated restaurants in the South, or would the free market have done away with mis misig miscegenation? I'm not sure if that's a word. If it had been allowed to, would Martin Luther King have been less effective than the free market? Those laws sprung up out of a majority sense of, in that time, that blacks should not. The free market 
there would not have supported integrated lunch counters. Um, okay, wow. So it looks like there's maybe some typos in this one. I'm not sure that I understand. Maybe we'll come back to this another time. It seems to be suggesting that um, we would never have integration of races without the uh, without the government. And certainly I don't think to the extent that we do now, we wouldn't. But people naturally segregate, and that's fine because they have freedom of association. So there's no problem with that. Um, I don't think you should be preventing people from having access to things like uh, public water utilities and stuff like that. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying in a free market where everyone can do things that they want to do, everything's, I mean, it's going to be fine. People, even if they segregate with their own groups, you're going to develop resources that you need. So again, that's fine. Number 19, the government is necessary but must be held accountable for its decisions. That is not a question. It's not necessary. It's just not. <laughs> uh, so without going again into, into some of the same points, the government is it's not necessary because if it's worth doing, people would do it voluntarily. That's the shortest answer I can give. Now, with that, that wraps up the questions. I believe we'll have to call it here, almost 45 minutes in. So thank you all so much. I've enjoyed doing this. Give me some more articles and things for next time. We might have to do this again like once every couple of months or something. Um, that's a lot of fun. And if I can figure out a way to do it live, we'll do it live. So lukedatum.com slash 35 is the show notes page for today. If you're still with me, I do also want to invite you to check out the video game that we're making, lukedatum.com slash 35 will have the link, but you can also go to dummycorporationgame.com and you'll learn there we're doing a mobile game for iOS and Android, which will uh, allow you to run a secret government base and it's going to bring up all kinds of interesting moral points and uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun. Fun first, libertarian second, right? So that's my motto. Y'all, thanks so much for joining me. I will see you on the next episode. We have a very, very special guest coming on, but that's going to stay a secret for now. Peace.